Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do just acknowledge even now that your name is hallowed. It is set apart. Your name representing who you are is very different than any other name. You are the one that we bow before. You are the one that we worship. And it's because of the great God that you are. As we consider this subject this morning, Lord, of of love, we looked at it somewhat last week and we're looking at it this week. We're just reminded, the scriptures tell us that God is love, that you are love. That it just simply is a part of your character to the degree that you are love. We know, Lord, that was demonstrated to us primarily through Jesus Christ. And so we just want to pause and thank you that part of your name, a part of your character, who you are, is that you love us. As we learn more about that today, we pray that you will bless. In Jesus' name, amen. So the message today is going to be a little bit different. And some of you might be saying, uh, then it's going to be the same. <laughs> but anyway, it's not quite. But um, last week we took to, uh, looked at a bigger picture of the subject of love. We expanded from our passage in Colossians chapter 3, which we'll reference in just a moment. And we really looked at the different aspects of love in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't have time to review all of that. We're not even going to try. But the purpose was to gain a better understanding of love in order to lay the groundwork for effective application of our passage here in Colossians. So we saw that the word uh, love obviously is used in the Old and New Testament, and there were definite parallels between the Old and New Testament words for love. And that was important because so many times you, you hear people give the idea that, that God was different in the Old Testament. And, and in reality, yes, there was a different contract with his people, an Old Testament, Old Covenant, compared to the New Testament, New Covenant, But it didn't mean that God was any different back then than he is now today in this age of grace. So it's important for us to to, to see that. And so uh, we we looked at, again, a number of ways that we even saw the love of God. And as I mentioned, we even see in 1 John where we see that God is love. In the New Testament, we focused our attention on uh, two words, uh, phileo and agape. And so I'm going to kind of just give you... The definitions of those two words, the the phileo, is to like or love or like someone or something. It's an emotional response related to value or merit, but it can have great depth, most often uh, used in the New Testament for personal relationships, okay? So the idea here is, is, you know, people love each other in friendship, they love each other in marriage, they they, they, they have an affinity with one another, those types of things. And that's really more of that. And again, the, the um, uh, much used example, but a good one, is Philadelphia, which, by the way, is actually in the scriptures. We, we talk about the city of brotherly love, but Philadelphia simply means brotherly love. Okay, But then we have the word agape. It is a commitment or duty to another's good based upon moral principle. It's based upon reason more than emotion. It's exercised regardless of the attraction, merit, or response of the other person. It's by far the most used word for love in the New Testament. Now, <clears throat> there are probably some similarities here, but there is that point where agape just has a different flavor to it. It has a different dimension to it that isn't necessarily completely shared with the term phileo. And what I also want us to see is that they can be used interchangeably sometimes. And we saw this last week and spent a little more time on that. But just to refresh our memories, there are two passages. One, John 3.35, the Father loves, and we have this word agape there, the Son, right? And then we see in John 5.20, the same phrase, the Father loves phileo, the Son. So for us to kind of 
elevate one word above another is a little bit dangerous. And so we just need to keep that in mind that um, if we if we kind of elevate agape as a word, as a concept, we can kind of make it out of reach. You know, there's this agape, godly love that, of course, you know, we don't know how to express. But no, we do. It's a very commonly used word in the New Testament. But we also don't want to diminish this, this companionship, friendship type of love that we are to have to, for one another either. So that's the, the, the trick in all of this. Which then brings us to, again, our passage today, which is Colossians 3.14. But above all these things, which is what we examined last week, that specific phrase, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Okay, the bond of perfection directly um, describing what love is. Okay, so that's what we're going to be, again, examining today. So agape is this others-centered love, is the type of love we see in our passage and the type of love that we're referring to today. So when we're talking about love, we're not going to be going back and forth between that more brotherly or friendship type of love and agape love. We're going to be talking more about the agape love that, that self-sacrificing type of love. As we begin, I want us to see here that love completes character. We're, we're looking at, we have been looking at, a number of character qualities in the scriptures here. And we'll give those to you in just a moment. But we're told, above all of these things, we are to put on love. So again, this is a little bit of review, but it, it helps us to bridge this. We considered the illustration of a suit last week. We can be wearing all the other components of a suit. But if we don't have the suit coat on, we're not wearing a suit, right? It's just that simple. The coat completes the suit. So love completes all of these other character qualities. In our scripture reading today, we saw that people can do some amazing things, right? Again, we're talking about 1 Corinthians 13. These can be of great benefit to others, but if they're not accomplished by and through love, then really the scriptures tell us here that they're hollow and worthless. I don't think that that's really what we would want to see in our lives, right? Especially when we're talking about some of the things that are mentioned there. So the character qualities we're going to see in our context today are, are the things, again, that we have been talking through. And so I'm going to just briefly describe those, but then we're also going to add on the things that we saw that are different, some of them are similar, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. So the first thing, as we look at, is a compassionate heart. Um, this, this is that caring, others-focused mindset, we, we have compassion toward people. We, we have this, this, we're drawn to them, right? To, to do something for them, to help them, whatever. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a bent in our minds as opposed to just thinking about ourselves. And then there's kindness, which really is um, either words or actions that are beneficial to somebody else that really flow from that compassion. That's where they come from. It's really difficult to be kind to someone, to show kindness to someone without having any compassion for them, right? And then we have humility. This, is, this isn't just feeling lowly about ourselves, right? This actually is having a proper view of ourselves that begins with a proper view of ourselves before God. And hopefully we understand there is really no comparison, right? And we'll leave that at that. But then as we think of ourselves in comparison to others. Humility means that, that we have a, a deference for other people, that we don't, even if we are better than them in some way, more educated, um, wealthier, whatever it might be, that, that we don't see that as something that means that we are more important or of higher value than that other person. And of course, that can be difficult, but that's some of the things that we have been called to do. These are things that we put on because we have Christ, right? And it takes some effort. It takes some work. Gentleness. Treating people with sensitivity and care as we consider their needs 
and their perspective. Again, it's, it's, it's an others-oriented type of thing. Patience, taking a long time to show anger or to even get angry. And remember, our, our goal there was really not to just bottle it up, you know, so we don't explode, but instead actually work to the point where we're just not getting angry about things that don't matter. Now, again, I can't go back and, and talk about each one of these character qualities, but you get the idea, in, in other words, in detail. Then there's bears with others. It just simply means that we put up with the differences that other people have. And, you know, sometimes a difference that someone else might have might kind of push your buttons a little bit. Well, we put up with each other. Now, uh, these things primarily... Paul is talking about in the church, but it works wherever we go. I'm not saying it works as in, oh, people are just going to respond and life is going to be, you know, a bed of roses, right? But it works for us when it comes to putting on the character of Christ, living out our faith, living out that daily walk with the Lord. And that's what we're talking about. And then there's forgiveness, forgiving others, graciously choosing to not hold on to an offense. That was the idea behind that word. It was, it was a gracious forgiveness where we simply bestow that to somebody regardless of whether or not they deserve it in some way. I guess this is air quote Sunday, folks. So anyway, all right. So well, we're going to add a few elements from 1 Corinthians 13 that I mentioned, the ones that are a little bit different. What, what, and, and a lot of these are on the negative side. What, what does love not do? Well, love doesn't envy. It doesn't look at what someone has or some abilities or whatever or something. And, and, and jealousy is kind of along with that, too. They're, they're really close to one and the same. And, and love doesn't, doesn't behave that way. Love isn't boastful or prideful, right? We're not trying to further ourselves when it comes to love. Love isn't rude. Most of these don't need a lot of explanation. Love is not selfish. It's not, it's not self-oriented. So the goal of loving isn't to get something out of it. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. And then love rejoices in truth and righteousness. And then one more, love has a positive outlook. Now, one thing I want us to understand is, as, as I read through that, just one very brief bit of explanation. When it says believes all things, it doesn't, it, love is not gullible. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about just simply, you know, if, if someone says something to you and you have no reason to, to, to doubt them, you, you don't, you know, start to cast negative things about that. But instead, you just accept it for what it is. You accept people where they're at. So now as we kind of think about these different things and, and we think about this idea of, of um, you know, what love does, it validates and purifies our work because, and we, we're going to sneak in the Old Testament word, said here, or agape, they're, they're very similar to each other. I mentioned you have the Old Testament word, uh, words that were very almost parallels to the new. That's that Old Testament word. It's inherently selfless. Agape love is inherently selfless. So here's the question. Can we be kind and gentle for selfish purposes? And the answer is, yeah, we can. But not if we actually love that person. You can't do both. You can't schmooze, right? You can't manipulate and then say you love them or that you're demonstrating love for them. Can't happen. Can we be patient with others and seemingly put up with them. Yeah. And at times, we really have no choice whether we like it or not, right? We're just in a situation where we got to, you know, gut through this. Even if we might feel like we're exploding inside. But without love, that kind of patience has very little value. Love completes all of these traits that we have been looking at, particularly in the Colossians 3 column, so to speak. So I remind us again, this is not a love based upon the other person, uh, what they do for us, the value that we place upon them, or even mutual admiration we have for one another. That is not what agape love is. 
Each of these character qualities are perfected or made complete in love. Love enables us to exercise authentic character qualities and to engage others with true emotions. It's indispensable. It has to be there. So this means that a committed, even dutiful, self-sacrificing love for others energizes these qualities and brings them to life. Folks, we could give all kinds of examples uh, to this, and and we'll be looking at some some things in in the near future. Again, I mentioned today is more about applying what we have learned than it was last week about going through probably 20-plus passages and looking at what love really is. But as we make that application, the next thing I want us to look at, and we're gonna, you're going to have this in front of you because as we go through some exercises, I want you to see these qualities. But I just want us to, 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 to go to the next phase here, which is that love unites character. Love completes character. That it, it, you know, we put on love, which then is superior to, um, but brings together the whole package of the character that we're to have in Jesus, right? The character that we're to put on. But it also unites our character. It unites these specific traits that we are to have. The word for bond literally means ligament. Ligament. Just as tendons and ligaments join our bones and bodies together to make them function, love links these character qualities that we have been examining. I think of, you know, my own joints. I've had a, a few knee surgeries, right? Because my ligaments weren't really right. One time, one wasn't even there. <laughs> so anyway, um, you think of your shoulder or your knee, those tend to be the ones that go out the most, right? And, and just how intricate they are and everything, but, but they kind of help you do an awful lot of things, don't they? It helps you move and reach and all those other things. It, it, it really keeps everything together. And frankly, if the upper arm bone isn't attached to the lower arm bone, you don't have a lower arm. You might, but it's going to be worthless. Okay? So these things are linked together based upon love. They help things function well. So love works the same way with these different character qualities. Now, I have no way of proving this, but I strongly suspect that we seldom use only one of these spiritual traits in the different situations that come up in life. Someone has offended us and we need to forgive them. Is it just this tunnel vision forgiveness that takes place? Or are there some other traits that come along the way, right? Someone has a need, and we, we think of them in this compassionate way. Great, but something else has to happen, right, in order for love to actually uh, express itself. So, of course, this is all about living out all of these character qualities in our daily life with the idea that they're all interconnected with love. Love completes them all, but love also unites them all, helps them to function together. Without the love, there's not a lot of worth in them. Without love, they probably won't even be exercised. Or if they are, it really is only for selfish purposes. Now, I understand, you know, you said that, well, wait a minute now. You you could do some of these in a utilitarian way. Well, you can But again, what's the worth of it is the whole point, right? So let's talk for a little while here about how love works. Oh, that's not supposed to be doing that. (laughs) So we'll look at how love works. And I changed this, but apparently I didn't do a good job of it. But there we go. All right. Um, What I want to do is... um, As we've seen how, again, love completes and love unites, I want to see how this works in real life. Um, This this goes back to that whole first half last week, a a lot of of, of uh, scriptural examination. This week more of, let's let's try and emphasize. 
let's work this out. Um, we don't often do this, but sometimes the message is too big. And rather than having this little bit of application in the end, in order to really have us understand and, and function through this, we want to have some sizable application. So I want to look at some true-to-life true examples of how love helps give life to these other character traits. All right? Now, maybe these situations don't fit every one of you. I don't even know if I'm designing them to. But you can make application to them, meaning switch around the situation a little bit. You can live it out in, in the way that is relevant to you. But we're going to start off with you just putting yourself in the shoes of a student, okay? You found out that someone has said false, hurtful things about you to some of your friends. And of course, we know this never happens, right? But, but it happened to you. Two days later, one of your teachers assigns group projects. You and this person are put into the same group. Yeah, someone said, ouch. Love says that you're going to be kind and gentle, right? We see that in our list, to that person regardless of how they might be treating you. That's, that's what agape love is. Love enables you to be patient. We think of that biblical word long-suffering, even though you have been hurt. And you are not going to retaliate by telling others in the group what you think of this person. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. This might apply to more than one of our situations here, but I just want you to see this. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. How convenient, right? <laughs> but I say to you, Jesus speaking, love your enemies. By the way, guess what word for love is there? You can't have a, a phileo love for your enemy. A, a, more of a friendship, buddy, buddy love. It has to be a selfless, self-sacrificing love. Right? But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do not do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. There is a general blessing that God gives to all people. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect or complete, just as your Father in heaven is complete. How is that? By loving. Okay? So that's the idea here. Let me do this. All right. So here we are. We're, we're still in this scenario number one. We're back to our story. Your study group is completing their project by compiling each person's work segments into the final project, into the, 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 the final uh, finished result that you need. As this is taking place, the same person who is talking about, about you explains that they really struggle to complete their portion of the project. You've been assigned to present the completed project, Right? Everyone's grade depends on the final presentation, and one of the team members tells you, one of your fellow students, says you need to explain this person didn't do their assignment. They didn't do their job. So now you even got a little internal pressure here, right? As your teacher asks you questions about the project in front of the entire class, because of course you presented it to them, the teacher points out the weak part of the project and directly asks you if the person did the work. So what does love do in this instance? Love says, oh man, I got this person right where I want them, right? No. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love believes. That's what I wanted. Take a look up here. Love believes that the person tried hard as they said they did. 
After all, you have no evidence that they just simply blew off this assignment. So you are patient with this person's gossiping and choose not to take the opportunity to get even. By the way, that's that putting off or putting off malice. You say to your teacher that you believe the person put in the work but struggled a bit with their project segment. You add that you believe the group worked well together and each worked hard on their assignments. And you do this out of love. I'm not going to ask each and every one of you to tell me, but I am going to ask you, what would you have done in that situation? Now, it doesn't mean that it had to be perfectly like that in order for you to love that person. But boy, it had better come close, right? Snare number two. Your spouse. And again, if that doesn't fit, you can say your brother or sister, you know, whatever. Yet again, has done that thing that absolutely drives you nuts. You know what it is. You can't understand how or why they do it, let alone seem to do it over and over again. So how do you respond if you're responding in love? Now, by the way, can we respond in a phileo love here? Of course we can. But you're kind of at the end of your rope. I mean, this is just, come on, you did this again? Love has a long fuse, doesn't it? It's patient. It isn't reactionary. As we respond, it should come through that we're bearing with this person. They're different than we are. They've got some quirks. Love seeks the best. So we put this particular thing into proper perspective. It isn't nearly as important as the person. Love also makes sure we aren't being selfish about our own personal preferences. Right? We check that box first. Because love doesn't seek its own. Love isn't selfish. So I want to give you just another little slice of this particular scenario. The other day, Maggie came into my office while I was studying. and She sat on my lap and explained that she wasn't happy with me for leaving the mayonnaise jar out all night. <laughs> she kissed me on the cheek and told me that she chose not to be mad because I was worth more than a jar of mayo. I must confess that this isn't the second or third or even the tenth time that I have done something like this. I can be forgetful. I'm not really being careless, and I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm just trying to explain. As much as when my mind goes to the next thing, I simply stop thinking about the previous thing. And it happens. Frankly, it can be a problem, but Maggie bears with it. She bears with me. She knows I'm not doing it because I don't care, right? Maggie putting up with me and forgiving me and being kind to me was born out of love. And it meant a lot. It meant a lot to me. A dumb little thing like a mayonnaise jar, but it meant a lot. Scenario number three. Is this helping, folks? A group of people are sitting around a table during our carry-in meal. Now, I don't want this to be like, oh, great. Now, what's, you know, don't, don't be nervous, okay? <laughs> Go and enjoy the meal later. We're all good. The subject of witnessing comes up from, your Bible, from our Bible study class, Bible fellowship class. A couple of folks share how they have been struggling with witnessing for Christ. It's a little noisy, so you raise your voice a little bit and you share your perspective on the subject to remind the group of some of the key points that Larry has shared from God's Word. You add a couple of stories of times you have witnessed and how nervous you were as further encouragement. Now, earlier in the conversation, you noticed that Ron and Susie Shinko were sitting right at the next table. And you saw an opportunity to gain some respect from those whom you admire. You made sure you talked loud enough for them to hear you. Was what you shared with the others based upon love? 
No. Now, like I say, in order to balance this out a little bit, we're going to put a little twist on scenario number three here. Change the situation around a little bit. You're sitting at a table at our fellowship time, and you overhear a person encouraging others about witnessing. <laughs> Judgment begins to creep into your heart. To you, it seems they're trying to be superior to others. Now, let's be clear. We are to judge at times. But proper judgment is based upon what people actually say and do, not the motive of their heart. And I don't think you probably had enough information to make that judgment call. By the way, Jesus commanded that we not judge others' motives. So you realize that you might possibly be jealous or convicted, and you see where your heart is going and you get it under control, right? It took me longer to explain than it did for you to think through this. That's how fast our mind goes, right? So instead, you choose to give the benefit of the doubt. And in laying aside your jealousy, you choose humility instead. Right? I'm not going to think of myself as better than that person. Or I'm not going to try to defend myself in my own mind based upon what that person is instructing others to do. Remember, a little jealousy creeped in, maybe even a little bit of guilt. But you wrestled that down. Please don't be paranoid in talking today. I just want to give real life examples, okay? So let's, let's go with another scenario. There is that particular person at work or at school who is constantly picked on. They may have some personality quirk that makes them different, or maybe there is a bully or two that has simply chosen them as the target. And they encourage others to harass that person as well. When we love that person, we will act out of humility. I mean, let's just say that what they're saying is true. That person is just different for whatever reason. Humility says it doesn't matter. Humility says I'm, I'm going to see that person in the Lord, I'm going to see that person in the proper perspective that God made them. Amen. That they have great worth. We will be compassionate and kind to them regardless of what others may think or say. Because love does what is right. Love rejoices in the truth and in righteousness. Right. Now this is a good time to note that the Greek word for kind in 1 Corinthians 13 I don't have that listed up there because we have a similar thing in Colossians 3, but we read that love is kind. That particular term for kindness is motivated by, uh, motivated by love does, does something to benefit the other person. In other words, that kindness is motivated by love to do something. It is specifically an action type of word. And it's impossible to show true love when we're trying to benefit ourselves, right? We've talked about that. So now getting back to our story, love will also engage our gentleness and we will bear with their unique and possibly odd personality traits or just simply different than ours because a love of Christ considers the other person, right? Jesus was accused of eating with publicans and sinners. We may be accused of having lunch with idiots and freaks. Now, that's kind of strong language, but I'm just telling you, at the workplace and at the school, that's tame. That's tame. There is, in spite of what we think of ourselves as a society, a horrific cruelty that can be out there. And when someone has that concentrated on them, to be honest with you, it can be merciless. As a matter of fact, sometimes, and it's not just young people, it can be us older folks too, we might not say anything or we might even participate a little bit nervously because we don't want the guns to be centered on us. But love says, we're going to ignore all that. So let me give you 
another little twist on this last scenario. This one's hard to talk about. I want to tell you a story of a classmate of mine. From time to time, I can remember that this young lady was teased, as I mentioned before, mercilessly. It was unending. Of course, I wasn't always around her, but I doubt that she ever went a day without someone saying something mean to her. I remember more than once someone slapping her or punching her because she looked at them. I always felt bad for her, but didn't really know what to do. Now, I'm talking about, we're talking back into elementary school here, folks, all the way through high school. But I have to admit, it might have been sometimes that I was too afraid to do what I knew I, w- I should do. Either way, I had become a Christian at some point in that time and grew in my faith. In high school, she would walk down the hallway, always looking down, avoiding eye contact with everyone else. And one day, she was passing by me, and I just simply said, Hi, Linda. I, I, I just I couldn't watch this happen anymore. You would think that I hit her with a baseball bat. I don't think she even responded the first time I said hi to her. I think she just looked at me wide-eyed. I did the same thing another time, and she was kind of ready for it. So she smiled and said, hi, back. Not too long after, I had come up from one of the side stairways and was just looking down the hallway, and I saw Linda kind of poking her head up and craning. I realized that she was she was looking to see if I was coming down the hallway. She was just, just waiting for someone just to say hi to her. So I ask you the question, has anyone ever treated you so terribly and you have been so lonely that you would simply look for a hello like you were looking forward to Christmas. <laughs> now I want to be honest, the point of the story is not to say, oh, Pastor Scott was a nice young man. Frankly, I always will always feel some shame and regret for not doing more. The point of the story is that there are people who need someone to show them simple, genuine love. They're starving for it. I hardly knew Linda. I don't know much about her background, but I know that she had a rough life. School was very hard on her. I wish I could tell you that I witnessed directly to her and told her about Jesus and she responded in faith and all that stuff and I can't. But if we have Christ, we have the greatest expression of love that anybody else could hear. That anybody else could experience. We have the bread of life that Jesus says satisfies completely. So where do we go from here? There are many different scenarios that we could apply all of this to as we go through our lives. But let me suggest just a few principles we can pull away, and if you've pulled away more, fantastic. Love makes each character quality genuine and truly beneficial. It needs to be a part of our compassion, of our kindness, of our patience. Love will also make all of those things more effective, right? Also, character qualities tend to travel in packs. (laughs) They're not usually isolated. Love is the catalyst that helps them work together, sometimes instantaneously. Or sometimes it's almost like there's a little bit of of a relay effect, right? I respond in this way or I see this need and this happens and then the next quality kicks in and so on. 
Why? Because we are loving that person. Folks, we don't even have to know them. That's the, that's the, the beauty of an agape love. Not this high, lofty love. No, just a simple selfless love. We don't even have to know them to express that kind of love to them. This kind of love can come easy in some situations because we have a relationship with the person. It may even be a deep, meaningful friendship of some kind. Other times, a self-sacrificing love is more challenging. And we may be even called upon to love our enemy. Not to have this deep, warm feeling about them, but to actually sacrifice ourselves for their good. Character needs exercising in order to become effective. Folks, think about that for a minute. We might ask ourselves or, or think to ourselves, my, you know, I don't love as I should. Work on it. Exercise it. When you look at me, you look at someone who's obviously just, he exercises all the time, right? <laughs> no, that's not the case. But I do know a little bit about exercise, right? If, if I get on the treadmill, if I get on, <laughs> those, you know, if, if I work out, I'm going to have better wind. If, if I exercise my muscles and stuff, they're going to be more effective. Well, if we exercise our love, which also includes all those other character qualities, because love brings it all together, love makes those things complete, then we're going to be better at it. So, just asking the question, do you want to be an effective friend? Do you want to be a better spouse? Do you want to be a good neighbor? Do you want to be a beneficial coworker? And I'm not talking about your skill level. I'm talking about loving other people. Because that is the superior trait. That is the one that's going to help us engage all those other character traits that we're to be putting on. It's so important, folks. I'm almost finished. We're almost done. The other thing we need to do is we need to heed the leading of the Holy Spirit. It will help us to remember that God is himself the one who leads us. And so I want to finish by turning to Ephesians chapter 5 and tying this important passage together. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Folks, I'm just going to be very transparent with you. I know that sometimes something is going on in your heart, in your mind, and you're thinking to yourself, what is this? Is this the true leading of the Holy Spirit? I, I can't answer that for you. I know that there's a little bit of, I don't know, there's a bit of a mystery to it, right? So be honest. But here's my point. If we've just laid out the character that we're supposed to be living and we get prompted in our heart to respond to the character that we're supposed to be living, who do you think is behind it, Right? So maybe we can take a little bit of the mystery away as we think about this. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Do I have that right? I don't think I have that right. I have it right. Starting in verse 18. Sorry about that. I don't know what I was doing. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always to the Lord. No, I don't think I have the right passage here. What's that? Yeah, it's not in 
Well, I apologize about that. I'm not sure where I was going there, but... What's that? Galatians. Okay, that's what I did. Sorry, folks. Remember that whole, like, I blank out sometimes? That's what I did. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got to laugh at myself a little bit. Galatians. 5.19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're going to pause here. Great, Pastor Scott, thanks for ending with this. Well, we're not going to end with this, but I wanted to read this for us to understand. There is an alternative to love. It's ugly. It's called sin. And we move on. But that little word, that amazing contrast word, not this, but that, right? But the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in our lives is this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we're going to stop there for just a minute. How closely does that line up with what we were to put on? Amazingly close, right? Beginning with love. And look at what it says. Against such there is no law. There are no restrictions on being kind. There's no restriction on being gentle. The Lord isn't going to throw the flag up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you are too loving. Right? It's not going to happen. So we talk about, well, we need freedom. You have freedom to exercise godly character in any and every situation all you want. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, if we have life in the Spirit, then let's, then let's live our everyday living in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right? Folks, it's God the Holy Spirit that resides in us. That, by the way, has part of His job is perfecting us. Right? That is going to lead us into fulfilling the character of that we have in Jesus. It's, it's not of ourselves. We didn't earn, right, the right to be God's children. We didn't earn that. It was given to us graciously. And now we have the ability to, yes, crucify ourselves, put our selfishness to death, and based upon love, Live in light of other people. Now, now, again, we've talked about loving God, okay? We've talked about that in the past. This passage is talking specifically about the church loving one another. And then we can in turn apply that to our homes and any other situation that we have. To where we are living a self-sacrificing life. Of course, that means, right, you have no fun, Right? Nothing good can happen for you. It's all about everybody else. That's, you know that's not going to happen. But let's, let's just keep things in perspective. There is nothing wrong. There's everything right, I'll say it in a positive way, of the blessing and the satisfaction that comes with leading a Christ-like life. Let's not forget God loved us while we were his enemies. Jesus wasn't asking us to do anything that he hadn't done ever since there were people. And he laid it all out for us. He gave everything. 
So as we think of ourselves in humility and we understand that everyone around us has great worth, it's going to change how we treat other people. We're going to respond to them in love. We love the Lord. We love God because he first loved us. But we also should love other people because of how Christ loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a, it's a tough message because, again, we just battle ourselves all the time. And frankly, sometimes we don't even put up much of a fight. But even when we do, there are times when, even again, Romans tells us that we, we, we do the things that we don't even set out to do. And sometimes that's treating others poorly or missing opportunities to, to treat them in a, in, a, in a loving fashion. Lord, as we put on and then express these character qualities, I pray, Father, that it will first and foremost be grounded in the love that you have for us, which then turns into the love that we have for other people. Some are more challenging. Some situations are more challenging. But I pray, Father, that as we exercise that character and as we look at your beautiful examples in Scripture, that we will love others in your name and we will love others for your glory not for our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen.